Well, welcome, Wilshire. We are glad to be met together as a congregation. We're glad, if you're visiting us, that you have chosen to be with us, with God's people in this place. Uh, if this is your first time at Wilshire, you've come to a fine church, and I hope, and I ask you this favor, that you will hang around long enough for us to show you how fine we are. Uh, we're going to have coffee and some treats uh, in, after this worship service before our class. Hope you'll stay and just uh, take the time to get to know some of us, and I think you will be well rewarded. So please, uh, please do that if you can. If you have your Bibles, turn to the one verse that we are studying this morning. First uh, Peter chapter four verse seven. I'm actually going to look at a few others, but. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. You know, Ethan leads us in song, then he goes back to, uh, to make sure Danielle and Charlotte behave themselves during worship service. How many of you notice that he can kind of tell when I'm winding down my sermon and he kind of makes his way back up? Did anybody notice that? The end is near when that's happening. I actually hear you guys. You can hear the as the songbooks come out of the little holder. Yeah, I hear, the end is near when that's taking place. Today's sermon is what Peter says in verse 7. The end of all things is near. Now, he's already been talking about it. He kind of starts the book reminding the Christians in chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, you know, this is what has happened to you because of Jesus Christ. This is who you are. And in the first chapter, he says, you've been given this new birth. You've been given this new status. You are transformed people. And he's been hinting at it over and over again. And he'll keep hinting at it later on in this chapter and elsewhere. You are living in the reality that is knocking at the door. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. I like that. The end of all things is near. Y'all see that window back there? Look at that one. How many of you have ever looked at that stain, the middle one over there? Everybody look at that. Keep looking. Don't look at me. Look at that. Jesus is right outside that window right now. The end of all things is near. That's what that means. That means that any second, <laughs> he may really not want me to finish this sermon, folks. I mean, you know, he may not want us to go home. The end of all things is near. That changes everything about the way you and I live. 
Jesus is right here. The more you and I wake up to the end of all things, the stronger we will be. Peter says, this will make you alert, wake up. This will make you serious, sober, serious. Make your prayers better. The more we live in this reality, the stronger we will be. If thinking about the second coming of Jesus makes you scared or sad, you haven't understood properly the second coming of Jesus. You don't know what's going to happen if you think it's terrifying. Either that or you're not right with Jesus, which is really bad. We need to fix that stat. Living woken up to the fact that the end of all things is near is a way to live a healthy, wise life. The more we wake up to the end of all things, the more we can actually enjoy this world without being blinded by it. When I was a little kid, I remember my parents taking me to the old planetarium. On the old, on the fairgrounds, there was an old planetarium before the new uh, science center was built, science museum was built, on the old fairgrounds. Some of you are old enough to remember that and are Oklahoma City residents and may remember what I'm talking about. The rest of you just trust me. And it had, I was, you know, I was a nerdy kid back then and, and uh, I'm, I know that shocks you. I'm so, I'm so suave now. Um, and they had one thing that I just loved. It was up on the counter where you paid. And it was a hologram of a $5 bill. It was so cool. It was floating in the middle of the air. I went to grab it. I mean, it was floating. It was, I, you, you could, your hand passed right through it. It was the coolest. It was two concave mirrors, an external light source shining in there. And there was a, there was a, five, a real $5 bill was inside. And because of the light source and from most angles, this was a true 3D representation floating in the air of this $5 bill. It was the coolest thing. I, I until my mother dragged me away, I was just swooping my hand through it. It looked real. But my hand would go right through it. It wasn't real at all. This world is real, but it's not the realest. <laughs> you know what I mean? This world is real, but it's not the ultimate reality that we need to worry about and be concerned with. God made this world. He made it full of good things. You got up this morning because your body is good, made by God. Your heart pumped. Your veins carried blood. Your lungs oxygenated that blood. Your brain processed glucose so you could think thought. I mean, your body is good. It's full of good things. But your body's not the ultimate reality about you and about this world. The pew you're sitting on feels pretty solid. But there is a reality greater 
the reality of the creator. And the creator is coming. The end of all things is near. That's what Peter's reminding us of. Over in 2 Peter, the same theme gets explored a little bit. 2 Peter chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, you can look over there. Verse 11, since everything is going to be destroyed in this way, he's described the destruction of the earth by fire. Since everything is going to be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought we to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. Because we know that the end is near, that this world that we depend on, that we it's the only thing that we've ever experienced, because this <clears throat> has the ability to kind of captivate us and dazzle us and make us think this is all there is, once we wake up to the fact that this is not all there is, this is not even the primary reality, God is the primary reality, we can actually live the way God wants us to live. The more we realize Jesus is coming. He is coming. He is coming. The end is near. I know. There are people out there who say, there's no end, there's no end coming, come on. Nobody believes that anymore. Peter actually talks about that, by the way. If you're in 2 Peter 3, look up. Look up at verse 3. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has, as it has since the beginning of creation. Nothing much has changed, you know. We're in a scientific age and a technological age. We got iPhones, but humans haven't changed, right? <laughs> and, and the people are going to say to you, there's no such thing as a second coming. This is all going to continue just as it is. Do you know what? In their heart of hearts, every human being actually believes all of this is going to end, I think. I think the evidence is all around us. Just let me give you one sample of why I think the evidence is all around us. That in our hearts, deep in our psyche, there is this sense that all of this is coming to an end. How many movies right now can you name that are about the apocalypse and TV shows? The end of the world. It's going to be nuclear winter that's going to kill us. It's going to be global warming that's going to kill us. It's going to be virus that's going to kill us. It's going to be a bacteria. It's going to be 12 monkeys that kills us. It's going to be zombies that kill us. It's going to be virus zombies that kill us. It's going to be space zombies that kill us. It's going to be, how many of the, it's going to be robots from the future that come and kill us. We can't stop talking and thinking because somehow we know all of this is going to go. It's like encoded deep in our brains. People know 
this is not final. This is not lasting. Something is coming. The end is near. You know? People know, and, and, and you know, people got to have defense mechanisms. They got to whistle in the dark, and they're going to. But deep in their hearts, they know. They know. And you, Christians, you've had it revealed to you by the word of God. Peter, over there in 2 Peter, go over there and look at that for just a second. That's a long passage. I want to look at it for a minute. Our world tends to be a throwaway world, you know. We throw away, if my sneakers get old, I'm actually thinking about throwing away the current set of sneakers I have. I love them because they don't have shoelaces. I've been at war with tying shoelaces since I first learned how to tie shoelaces. I was very proud. I learned the bunny goes through the hole. You know, but as soon as I learned it, I never wanted to tie them again. I wore loose shoes all through grade school because I didn't want to have to untie and tie. I love my current tennis shoes because they have Velcro, but they're getting a little ragged. I'm going to throw them away. And we're throwaway people. We throw away all kinds of stuff, stuff we shouldn't probably throw away. Well, some some stuff we know we shouldn't throw away. We discard people. You got a relationship that's tough for you. Dump it, get a new one. You hear an opinion that's different than your opinion. For goodness sakes, don't listen to that opinion and learn something. Just find somebody on the internet who's making fun of that opinion. That'll comfort you in your lack of knowledge. Got people you don't like. Move away. Live among people that are just like you. That way you don't have to confront anything other than yourself and people like you. You got a pregnancy that's inconvenient. Throw it away. You got a marriage that's tough. Discard it. We're throwaway people a lot. And so it's probably not surprising we think of God sometimes as a throwaway God. But the Bible doesn't seem to talk about God as a throwaway God. Look down. I think sometimes people read 2 Peter 3 verses 10 through 12 and may get the impression this is about God throwing things away. And I can see it if you just read 10 through 12. And the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything done in it will be laid bare and everything will be destroyed in this way. What kind of people ought we to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day uh, God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt with heat. Sounds like God is throwing away this world. 
if you just read those three verses, that might be the conclusion you come to. But if you read the whole passage, you kind of come to the opposite conclusion. What's the very next verse? If you're in your Bibles, what's the very next verse? But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Look back up at verse 5. They deliberately forget that long ago God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. By that same word the present heavens and earth are reserved for fine, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. When God destroyed the world in the flood, did he wipe it out and start completely over or did he cleanse it? Well, we know how that went. It was a cleansing of the world and a renewal of the world. And in general, when the Bible talks about what the new heaven and the new earth are like, they, it uses the language of Isaiah, I make everything new. I renew. God's not a throwaway God the way we tend to be throwaway people. And that's a hopeful message for you, and it's a hopeful message for Jim Baird. God is not a throwaway God. God wants to make all things new, and he wants a new you to be there with him to enjoy it. See, the sad thing about having a throwaway mentality is no matter what defense mechanisms you set up in your own psychology, eventually you start thinking of yourself as a throwaway person because of what's wrong with you and the way you disappoint yourself and the way you fail. You start telling yourself, and Satan jumps on this bandwagon in your head, you're worthless, you're worthless, you're worthless. God doesn't want you. God has no use for you. God is done with you. But the overall message of the Bible is not that. God so loves you that he sent his one and only unique son so that you, Jim Baird, would not perish but have everlasting life. Whatever you criticize about yourself, God wants to make new. He does. He is eager to save you. He is not eager to throw you away. And you need to live in that reality, not the other. And I apologize on behalf of all preachers everywhere who should be apologizing for sermons that have made you feel like God doesn't want you. Because as I read the Bible, as I understand it, God wants you to be renewed. He sent his son to die for you to be saved. His son went through death 
and was resurrected, and that resurrection is what he imagines for you. A cleansing and a new life. And yes, there's stuff wrong with you. And yes, there's stuff wrong with me. But God is fighting to kill that old garbage in you so that the real you can finally live in the real world that God is going to make. That's the facts, folks. That's the world we live in. And that's what God is bringing into the world. And the more we live in that reality, the stronger you and I are going to be. I don't know how you imagine that's going to happen. The day when the elements melt with fervent heat. Up, oh, Ethan's moving. The end is near. I don't know how you imagine that to happen. I, I imagine it in a number of ways. Sometimes I imagine it kind of like that $5 bill at the old planetarium. You know, because God, Jesus, is more real than the realest things we can touch and see in this world. So imagine looking at this oh-so-solid ceiling that's above our heads, and all of a sudden realizing that it's not nearly as real as the face of Jesus Christ that's just appeared. Bigger than the world. Maybe it's like that. Or imagine you're looking at the night sky, marveling at that Milky Way, the edge of the galaxy, and all of a sudden you see that band of stars, unimaginably huge, begin to curl. All of a sudden it dawns on you what you're seeing is not a band of stars but it's the edge of one part of one finger of a hand larger than the entire universe that is closing to remake everything new, the hand of God. I sometimes imagine looking at that blue sky outside and suddenly seeing the face of Jesus poke through. I don't know what it's going to be like. But what I know for sure is as real as this world is and as, and as much joy as God takes and us taking joy in it, this is not the final reality. God is the final reality. And, and I want to live in the reality of God and the new world he is getting ready to create. And I want to yield myself 100% to him so that I will be ready for that new world that's coming. Because folks, the end is near. The end is near. Peter says it. Book of Revelation says it. Jesus says it. Paul says it a bunch of times. 2 Peter, I'm 2 Corinthians 5:10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what's due for the things done while in the body, whether good 
or bad. Someday you and I are going to stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. We can deny that. We can hide from it. We can watch Netflix so we don't think about it. I mean, we can, but that's going to happen. Someday you will be staring into the face of Jesus. And he will be going over your life. Everything. Nothing's hidden on that day. All of it is there. I know. People make fun of that idea too. This is another one of those things that I think is carved into us deeper than our surface level rationality. This is deep in the human heart. Every human being knows this. Every human being knows that we face a judge. You know, you've experienced this your whole life. You may not have called it this, but you've experienced it your whole life. There have been times in your life when it would have been so useful to lie. It would have gotten you out of so much trouble. It would have saved you so much embarrassment. And there was that voice inside your head telling you, yeah, but you shouldn't. Nobody would know. You were very unlikely to be caught. You may have lied anyway, but there was that voice inside of your head saying, yeah, but you shouldn't. Where does that come from? It's those times when you look around and it seems like everybody around you has just cynically given themselves over to doing garbage. The way they talk, the way they act, the way they behave. And it's like, what's the point of trying to do the right thing? And yet there's that thing inside of you that says, yeah, but we're going to do the right thing anyway, and we should. What is that? What is that? Sometimes in the privacy of your own brain, you criticize your own thoughts. I shouldn't be thinking that. I shouldn't be thinking that about so-and-so. No one knows. And yet you feel like that's not okay. You know all the way down to the core of your being that you are answerable some way, somehow. You are answerable. Because you know all the way down in the core of your being, even if your brain has forgotten it, you have a judge. Someday, you will stand before Jesus Christ. You will stand and give an answer for the life that you have lived. And what you want to be able to say on that day is not, I was pretty good. Or, I did more good than bad. I went to church a lot. Although I hope you can say those things. What you want to say 
on that day is I plead the name of Jesus Christ. I plead the name of Jesus Christ. My brothers and sisters, the end is near. Plead the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear God, on our best days, we really want you to come quickly. We lapse sometimes and get in love with this world. Break us out of that habit, God. Help us to live in the reality. Help us to, to crave and long for the day when you make everything new. When all that is wicked and wrong is punished and corrected and everything is renewed and fixed in this world. And God, fix us, make us new, resurrect us, make us into the people who can enjoy the new heaven and the new earth. These things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you need to respond to God's invitation, he wants you. And if you need prayers or help to to get back on track with your life, or if you are ready to receive baptism, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.